Welcome to the Battleground Wisconsin. My name is Matt Bruskin. I'm the Deputy Director here at Citizen Action of Wisconsin. Welcome to the Battleground Wisconsin. Uh, we are going to spend this show, and we, I mean Robert Craig, Executive Director here at Citizen Action. Welcome, Robert. Welcome, everyone. You're probably hearing this Friday, but Thursday, maybe this is finally the last day of summer at 70 degrees. In it is. It is, Robert. It is. Uh, but welcome. We're going to we're going to spend this entire show debriefing the um, just experienced uh, 2022 election uh, that occurred on Tuesday. Well, that's actually not fair. Uh, these are now two week long elections with the early voting periods, which is pretty uniform now. Uh, but we are going to debrief it. We're going to talk about it, uh, get into a number of different aspects, both locally here in the state, but uh, also we'll look at federally what's going on, what happened um, first of all, Robert, I'm going to give you a chance to sort of set the stage. Um, we are not, we're not here to debrief and uh, give you the results since y'all got those. Uh, we want to start diving into implications and things, important things that we think we learned from the election. And, um, Robert, I would like you to kick us off by now that we're, we're recording about, uh, 48 hours after the election, what are your top What's your top sort of takeaway from this election? I think the top takeaway has to be structural here, that American politics are rapidly changing, that by the, the, the by what's been the tradition, the Democrats should have been killed in this election, and we're not. It's the first midterm of a Democratic president whose party also controls Congress. This is the first uh, governor to 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 uh, win election when there's a president of their own party in Wisconsin since 1990, and the first Democrat, I think, it goes back to like 1960 or something or 64. So it rarely ever happens. In the top of that, you had this inflation headwind. You had the disruption of the pandemic, which has led to a tremendous amount of public concern about crime, which was then racialized. And all of that, it, it impacted the election, should have added up to Democratic losses, and it did not. So there really has to have to be talk about, and this midterm was more like a presidential in terms of turnout, which means, which changes it and probably changes what a midterm is. So we need to see this. By the way, this is the closest. Uh, U.S. Senate race in Wisconsin since the first one in 1914, when we first had started with the popular vote for for U.S. Senator. Just to remind everyone, they were appointed by state legislatures until there was a constitutional amendment in the Wilson administration to make it the popular vote. And it is the first time there were really close uh, elections for governor and U.S. Senate on the same ballot. So this is so it also this also solidifies Wisconsin's battleground status, but we'll get into it, Matt. The composition of the vote and where it's coming from is different, but it's still a 50-50 state, except yeah. in the legislature where there is no democracy. Yeah, no, I mean, Robert, I I would agree. I look, I, I was very clear. I told Robert this election day, I, I was not expecting great results. I did not think it was going to be a red wave, but I did I thought we were going to suffer some defeats. Um, I did think Tony was going to win, but I thought it was going to be really, really close. And I was expecting Mandela to struggle just because of 
what we're we're experiencing nationally and just sort of the normal trends of what happen happens in a, the first sort of off year after a presidential election where we're at with the state of the economy you know my general feeling that i don't think the democrats did a particularly effective job nationally or even here quite frankly explaining the economy to people and um quite frankly some of the successes that happened uh, in their efforts over the last two years nationally uh, to address the economy and uh, why inflation wasn't as bad here as it was around the world. That's a complex conversation, and it was obviously avoided. Uh, but in spite of all of that, and by the way, the economy is always usually a huge factor, right? Uh, because you have large amounts of voters who don't traditionally vote outside of president and maybe an off year uh, showing up, and they don't know a whole lot. And um and they knew something this year, and they know that democracy is at risk with these folks. And I think a lot of folk, a lot of people voted Democratic who, um, you know, are, are concerned about the state of our democracy and what Trump and Trumpism and MAGAism and where the Republican Party is headed uh, is a real threat. And I think that overcame in addition to like what I did say, uh, you cannot there were accomplishments that I think um, really, quite frankly, haven't been fully materialized yet, and we may see that down the road. Uh, so I thought it was overall uh, an yeah. encouraging, encouraging night, but we are deeply polarized society, yeah. Robert, yeah. and geographically polarized. Yeah, and Democratic members of Congress are saying that they won by running on the policy elements of the Inflation Reduction Act, the American Rescue Plan, and the Bipartisan Infrastructure Law in some cases, the CHIPS Act, you know, high-tech areas. And so they had accomplishments. And let's face it, it wasn't understood that a lot of what Tony Evers did was done with American Rescue Plan money because it was money not given by the legislature, but he controlled the spending of that. So you can say, oh, it's Tony Evers investing in popular things. It was made possible by President Biden and the National Democrats. That is not well understood. So there and, was and, actually- And Robert, Robert, sorry, sorry to interrupt. This is something, too, that was a problem for Mandela. He wasn't an incumbent and couldn't talk about those as though his they were his accomplishments. All he could do is talk about how he supported those things. But it really it limited his ability or at least, you know, the campaign didn't do this necessarily to have a full throated like, hey, I was for this. Ron was against it. If anything, they freaking hit him with ads on increasing tax IRS agents and stuff, which like, please, this it's is just, a, this lie. is, a, yeah, of course it's, it was a total lie, but anyway, so yeah, I, I do think that was a limitation into one other defining thing, which is uh, Mandela was outspent and significantly outspent and outspent on the dark money by just a handful of billionaires. We know we had them in our videos and, uh, and the two billionaires that benefited in hundreds of millions by Ron Johnson's actions on the Trump tax cut. So yeah. straight out corruption. And they turned around and invested millions. You don't know, like the trash on TV. That's where it came from. It came as the re the payment for the service rendered by Ron Johnson to the first personal fortunes of these two billionaires, Richard E. Line and Diane Hendricks. Yeah. These uh, folks were publicly out there for have having contributed over 35 million but, specifically to uh pro Ron Johnson anti-Mandela ads, let's be clear. But highlighting the structural part I started with, okay, you could just pull out from the personalities. I've been on a couple radio shows where everyone has an idea of what Mandela should have done and then he would have won, right? And it's a cacophony. Uh, you take a step back, 
the two incumbents won and the two incumbents outspent their challengers. You know, it, it may really be that simple, though the Mandela race was so freaking close that we as progressives need to look inside and think about what could we have done. I think in terms of the campaign, we have to be careful, but you do have to wonder if the Democrats did not have a strong economic message. And Matt, you could not be more right. In presidential elections, the only one on record since we had good polling that was not primarily about the economy was 2004 after the terrorist yeah. attack. That's the only one. And so it, and part of the reason, I mean, we can get into this. I know we have a lot to, to talk about. We may get this in the next segment is not just this messaging thing, because I think a lot of folks, a lot of activists just think there's some bumper sticker message and we figure it out, then it cuts through. The Republicans have an easier messenger job because they're unified on what they want to do and what they want to avoid. You can't really say that there is a unified economic agenda between not only AOC and Bernie Sanders to Joe Manchin, but Joe Biden to Joe Manchin. Correct. Um, and so how do you message that? Uh, the president could have done a better job with it, but I mean, really, we could get deeper into it, but that was beyond Mandela's control. He would have had to have come up with his own economic message, which I'm going to get to uh, to something uh, in, a, in a future segment here today. Uh, what Fetterman, John Fetterman and, uh, and, and Tim Ryan did and Mandela didn't that could have made a difference. But um, well, anyway. no, talk about that, Robert, because I like, look, overall, I, I think and, and I don't care what I, I, I will dive into the numbers, but I have no doubt Mandela helped get excitement about from progressives across the state, state yeah. and volunteers that. I know when we were doing this work in 2016, for example, a presidential, we couldn't get people out to volunteer. So I know candidates do matter and it mattered that Mandela had deep connections to progressive statewide, um, you know, and I think that that mattered and it helped certainly get volunteers and get people out and get people excited. And I think Evers benefited from that. He benefits because he's running to the middle. So he's going to get some moderates that, you know, maybe a Mandela can't get, but Mandela definitely helped run up. And, and while turnout was down in Milwaukee, Robert, uh, in Milwaukee County, the margin was significantly up. And that, that is, it's, it is important to understand like Milwaukee is becoming even more democratic. So while turnout mm -hmm. may have been down and is certainly something we need to continue to, to, to figure out, um, Milwaukee is also becoming even more democratic. Right. To close out this segment on Milwaukee, uh, disappointment that there was lower turnout than 2018, which was a high turnout election, in fairness. And oh, it was, it was almost historic Trump, in nature. 18. But produced 10,000 more votes for the yeah. Democratic ticket. So in other words, it, 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 the proportion of voters was less, but the vote contribution to the statewide total was greater. Yeah. What's on the table is, could we get back can we get both? And we can talk but, that by the way, that's a legitimate conversation. Robert, when you say that, right? So for people who are like, oh, you know, hand-wringing, um, maybe consider that had there been more, they might have been Republicans who were showing up 
And that, that, is, that is what we don't know. We assume the same proportion. And it may be that our people turned out and theirs didn't. And that explains you. the proportion change. And we didn't actually want the other turnout. It was turnout for the, the bad guys. That is a very real possibility. I'm sure it's not like 100% to zero. But th that is something a lot of people will just ignore. Uh, look, regardless, we need to continue to always work to try and improve turnout this statewide this election was just below 2018 um i did some tertiary looks um you know we know dane county had great turnout um but like even eau claire which had amazing turnout was a little bit below 2018 green bay was a little bit below 2018 so um you know the idea that milwaukee was below 28 you know below 2018 by a bit more with the margin up let's not uh, people should not hyperventilate over this um it, it, it instead we need to make plans uh, do a good assessment as movement folks and just get better get better sorry we got a quick take a break folks battleground wisconsin is sponsored by wisconsin education association council region two we act region two protecting the rights of education employees and promoting public education in central Wisconsin area. Learn more at weacweac.org. Welcome back to the Battleground Wisconsin. We're talking about the exciting election this week. That look, unless you were, you know, drinking blue Kool Aid, uh, you have to be at least happy with the overall aggregate results. We'll dive more into the federal stuff. We're still talking state. Um, we And again, we are not going to hide our disappointment over the Mandela loss. Huge loss. We invested tremendously in it, but we're also not going, um, we're going to try to have some perspective and understand the environment we were in and uh, swimming in. And let's remember, while Robert, we talked about the poll, Marquette poll on this regularly. Uh, there was, you know, movement that appeared Mandela had lost ground, some significant ground from the absolute trashing post-primary that he looked like he was closing um, and or at least turnout effort helped make sure that what the polls seem to be capturing underestimated actually the level of support or the amount of progressives who actually got out. Robert, I want to get your thoughts specifically on the Barnes race and then any other thoughts you may have specifically about Governor Evers. Well, we just, in our disappointment and, you know, some legitimate critiques, uh, there any, I mean, oh my goodness, the Milwaukee Bucks, when they won the world championship, there were legitimate critiques of, of uh, the coach's tactics. I right? think I wanted to fire him that season. Yeah. I think you I did. did. You did. So <laughs> just saying that, and that, but I still it, didn't like that offense. Sorry. But it, and it, what's disappointing, it was an historic opportunity lost here to first get rid of one of the worst setters in Wisconsin history, maybe second only to Joe McCarthy. And then, though, maybe he'll prove to be as bad or worse than Joe McCarthy. Has another six years to uh, to catch up with uh, tail gunner. No, what, that, that was someone else. Uh, but Joe McCarthy, you Robert. know. But anyway, uh, Miss, Mr. Anti-Communist, I have a list of all the communists in the State Department that I made up. It's kind of like the big steal. Uh, but... Um, we, and so, and and by the way, we might have had a governing majority. We'll get to whether what happens with Nevada, Arizona, Georgia, but we might end up with a one-seat majority or tie, 
And we could have still gotten a two-vote majority if we'd be able to get Mandela home. It's virtually a tie when you lose by 27,000 votes with the number of votes cast. Um, but you could still dig in, right? In many ways, it was a conventional campaign. In many ways, conventional campaigns are based on actual campaign science. You can't just say what they would, you can't just throw what they're doing because, you know, it, it doesn't it doesn't match uh, the way you feel might have been more successful. But um, I do think, and, and a lot of times he was captive at the National Democrats. Hard to have your own economic narrative when the National Democrats don't. Hard to have a strong response when you're being killed on with $29 million of sleazy, racist, dark money crime ads. And it, when you are making a decision that I'm unknown, I'm the challenger, so this was the theory, we have to keep introducing Mandela to everyone and showing him to be a regular person to give him more Teflon so you don't believe this shit about him, right? Because they're going to get this out to scale, and they were, with the billionaire money in order to really screw the rest of us. That's what the money was for. Um, and so, and to and to and to get just enough people to split off, which they managed to do. So you can critique all that. The the thing I'm going to say is, we had sticking on the structural. We continued to have a uh, a huge divide over density. In other words, the cities and the suburbs of Wisconsin got bluer, including the Milwaukee suburbs. A huge number of vote gains for Evers and Mandela Barnes over 2018, and it's happened every cycle, uh, over a number of cycles now. And then further lost ground in rural areas, small town areas, and also in exurbs. And most of that is shrinking in population. So some Democrats are crowing that this all helps us long term. You know, I, it's like saying that Latinos are going to be 80% Democratic forever. They're not. I, I would, I would still, I would to be very careful about demographics being destiny here. Uh, but the question is, it could get worse in rural areas. We've been saying that for a long time. There are very people trying to organize in rural areas. I just say part of this is, is that our movement beyond the political people do not invest in all of these areas. Citizen Action tries to, but we can't do all of it. We're just one, you know, nonprofit organization. But um we're in Wausau. Very few other people are, right? We're, we're, we're in rural Southwest Wisconsin. Very few other people are. There are few. Um, so I don't, I can call out a few that are, that are in these places, like, like Wisdom, like uh, Wisconsin Conservation Voters, but it's few and far between. And the Democrats really are not. And then what happens is you lose more and more ground every election. If we had lost less ground, we would have won this election in the Senate race. And part of it is, that we need to go down ballot because we need we need elect politicians who are who know how to talk in that community. These are very places that are situated in place. And there's really good research now that unless you can understand the local issues and the nuances and actually know people and actually build relationships and it, you lose and just using the Democrat talking points does not work in these areas. And so it's electing School board members, county board members, they become the state legislative candidates, the candidates for, for Congress, et cetera. But in addition, you need to build more progressive support there because these are populist areas. And this is my close. I think John Fetterman and Tim Ryan made more rural inroads because they took on corporations and the rigging of the economy 
And right now we have a situation where the Republicans are posing as the populists. Watch Tuck and Carlson every night. So, and the Democrats with this moderate milk toast message come out as the centrists, as defending a status quo that rural folks are unhappy about because they see their communities dying. And so I just think that uh, that we're going to continue to lose ground there. And we we could have majorities in the state. We could have won this election by 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 a good margin if we had had, yeah. had less decline in rural and and areas and small towns and then got the gains that we won through hard organizing in cities and suburbs well look you know one of the um classic examples of demonstrating how you can have a progressive win in republican areas is jeff smith and um Jeff, uh, Jeff was a sitting state senator, and he uh, helped organize the uh, Citizen Action uh, Western Wisconsin uh, Cooperative in the Eau Claire area uh, years ago before he uh, ran for Senate. And Jeff, his district, he won. He is. It looks like they're going to be a recount, but he's within four or five hundred votes, I want to say. And uh, it is important to understand that his district, he was redistricted too. Uh, there was a poll early in September that we were a part of uh, that we heard uh, around Jeff Smith being that that district was generically minus 10 for Democrats. Jeff won that seat. Okay. Uh, And that's because he's what Robert said, authentically locally connected. And he speaks about populist economic issues to voters. He, he excites the base, the progressive base of the party, but he also has credibility with swing voters that clearly showed up for him and the base showed up for him. Eau Claire was just a tick, just a tick. In fact, they might, we'll see when the final numbers come in, they might be at 2018 levels, the Eau Claire County. Kudos to the city of Eau Claire and the turnout and the efforts that were done there uh, and Jeff Smith for going out and doing that work. And and so that's that's got to be the example to go up against, Robert, what, if folks, if you go take a look at the state assembly races, the gerrymander is very real. That is one of the takeaways that I want to talk about that this election demonstrated. Let me we say knew one those thing maps. About- we knew those maps were going to be bad. They are bad. And like they played out. And by the way, let's remember Evers won top a ticket by three points. So we win a statewide race contesting state level issues with the governor. By three points, we got our, I'll say it, we got our ass handed to us in the legislature. We managed to keep a veto override, but these seats are awful, Robert. Let's simplify. It's not a democracy, and we can get to that because the only way to make a democracy is to take the power back. And the problem is, is that the way voters are behaving nationally in the state, they've made the country ungovernable because you still have the anti-democratic forces dominating the legislature and probably dominating the House of Representatives, which means progress is very is next to impossible. I was going to say about Jeff Smith, you know, the political operatives kept telling him not to use tactics that he knew worked in rural areas. For example, Jeff does visibility events. This used to be a staple in democratic politics. I remember when uh, Jim Baumgart, the senator from Sheboygan area, would stand with a big canoe that said Baumgart on the top of his Jeep at the major intersection and wave, right? Well, Jeff did that kind of thing. And he'd say, oh, no, no, no. And he's getting all of this 
uh, you know, negativity from the, the Democratic operatives in Madison. It's like, stop. You empower 20-somethings who do not know rural areas to tell people who are from there how to campaign. And it's not like Jeff would stand there all day. He would do enough of it to be noticed. Then he would go do the doors and do the phones and everything else and do direct contact. Well, folks, we got to take another break. You're listening to the Battleground Wisconsin with Citizen Action. Welcome back to the Battleground Wisconsin. And that title is couldn't be more appropriate for the state. <laughs> uh, we continue, Robert. I think this is what is this the sixth straight statewide like major election that's been contested within 30,000 because Mandela got within, I think it's 26,000. So he got within the 30,000. That has been like Evers. You just go back, probably Baldwin, uh, w- who won fairly comfortably. No, Baldwin uh, won comfortably. They're all presidentials. It's yeah. Now, and, it had not usually been state races statewide. Now it started to be that too. Evers is very close in 18. Now he was yeah. pretty close in 2022 when the U.S. Senate race was a photo finish. But uh, oh, yeah. I do, I do want to, I do, Robert, want to get more comments and just talk a little bit about this, uh, the lack of a veto override, because that was, that was greatly feared. And when you go look at these, these results, you can see why it was feared. Um, you can also see why it, I don't want to say there's nothing to fear because the maps demonstrate that. Some of these Dem seats in the cities that we were worried we were going to lose, we we held on to. I mean, Shanklin even got like 56 or 57 yeah. percent of the vote. That's a good, solid win. Not anything we should be, quote, fretting over. Obviously, you don't want to assume anything in the future. But um, the idea that the, the, that that we were going to get that in the assembly proved not to be the case. Uh, Steve Doyle was another place where it was very where people were very worried uh, that area appears to be moving a little more democratic. Some of those uh, lacrosse suburban areas, I think, similar to what we're seeing around the state, becoming more democratic. He ended up winning by about three points, so not as tight as maybe some had thought. Um, but Robert, everything else, everything else that used to be competitive, and there were a number of seats that you mentioned um, the change in the Wow counties. Well, remember, we almost like we lost the 13th. That one, and it was all gerrymandering. We lost a Senate seat that, by all accounts, if it had stayed the same, was going to be Democratic. They managed to gerrymander that. In spite of higher Democratic performance overall in Milwaukee County, we slipped and even lost more representation. Luann Byrd's seat we lost. Folks, the gerrymander, when they run the numbers, oh, when 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 they run the numbers, it's going to be worse than those previous maps. There is no doubt um, when we look at the discrepancy. Um, so it folks, and I say this cause we're going to start talking about it next week, next spring. Sorry. The election is going to be really important for Supreme court. It's an opportunity. Uh, if uh, progressive wins the Supreme court seat that we could revisit these horrendous and undemocratic maps. No, you got a right-wing Supreme court that is legislative. They legislate. They legislated new voting restrictions in this cycle, and that affected turnout, may have affected the outcome. Drop boxes made them illegal. That was a judicial legislative decision. You see, they're they're really politicians in robes. Uh, Look, 
it's not seriously democratic. It's stunning. It tells you all you need to know about the uh, about the about the Republican Party right now. Um, and it's like they used to have Soviet elections. You know, they used to announce Leonid Brezhnev, Comrade Brezhnev is reelected with 95 percent of the vote like there was a vote. Right. And so this is similar to that. Or it's like the old rotten borough system in uh, Victorian England where they would have, you know, some rural hamlet with uh, 500 people get the same representation um, in Parliament as a whole city, like an industrial city like Liverpool. So it's getting to that level. There's no way on God's green earth in a 50-50 state like this that you should have a supermajority in the legislature for the Republicans guaranteed, let alone what the margins were. You go down the list, everyone, the margins look like the look like Leonard Brezhnev's uh, thrilling they're amazing they're amazing both the democratic and republican margins right like people were super worried about shanklin she she ends up winning with 57 percent of the vote folks that's a that's a 15 point margin that's not really that close by the way i there is one race that um ended up being closer and that that is oshkosh oshkosh remains um, at least one that folks should keep an eye on. But even there, Lori Palmieri won with essentially 54% of the vote. She won by eight points. That's not really that close. Um, that's not a seat that I would be running around all worried about. Um, Here's the difference. And, and so that's it. The rest are almost all Republican seats. Here's the difference. Uh, Pennsylvania looks like they flipped the legislature. Okay or close to it, at least one house, maybe both houses. They won the governorship, Democrats. Michigan flipped the legislature for the first time in decades. Uh, so you have a Democrat governor and Democratic Senate and, and Assembly or lower house. And then Minnesota as well flipped their Senate and now has full Democratic rule. The outlying in Wisconsin is not that we couldn't have done it, but that we don't have a Democratic elections for legislature. And remember, this is why the Supreme Court race is going to matter a lot. Um, the Republican legal strategy, the Trump Republican legal strategy, is this idea they've pulled out of the Constitution, out of context, that there's state legislative supremacy, that the state legislature can name the electors or do anything else and has authority over the governor or their own state Supreme Court. So if we have a stealing of the 2024 election, Guaranteeing this kind of Republican majority means that the that the threat to democracy is still alive and well here in Wisconsin in our upcoming election. Absolutely. Look, I mean, we're the, it, it, the, the, the disturbing thing about this is it's dispiriting to people yeah. to understand that the legislature's rotten. Right. And that it doesn't it's not. We, we have no hope. By the way, if we take the Republicans at their word, they thought Mandela Barnes was a socialist, scary, different, like almost communist leftist candidate. Well, you know what? He basically got half of the vote in the state. And we have a legislature that in spite of a communist, socialist, radical, dangerous person getting half of the vote, his party couldn't get a could barely get a third of the assembly seats a third couldn't get a third of the senate seats that doesn't even make sense it's not even that's not even right on the face of it so it's just that's dispiriting and i think folks get that and i can tell you robert 
doing a lot of doors. That was the one takeaway I had is that people do feel like democracy is in threat. They don't feel like their vote matters. And if I ever talked about the legislature, had people were like, what difference does it make? It's not a real, like, we have no chance, right? That's that's disempowering. That's undemocratic, Robert. Yeah, we'd be a lot more disappointed if we had a Governor Michaels. So no doubt. Got a beachhead. Here's the thing, though, when I think about the Supreme Court race, even. Remember, there's an inter-party competition on the Democratic side between a moderate wing, which is not a majority of voters, and a more and a rising progressive wing. I'm one of those geeks that digs into the crosstabs of polls, and I dug into every crosstab that would give me this number. Uh, for the polling this cycle, uh, 55 to 57 percent of Democratic voters are progressive. Okay. So they're the majority, but you wouldn't know that looking at democratic policy at the state level. And it's very dangerous that you have Governor Evers out there saying that he uh, did a little better than the U.S. than we did in the U.S. Senate race because of his bipartisanship, as if he has done. By the way, there is no bipartisanship with that side. It's made up by the Evers campaign. He signed their budget and called it bipartisan. OK, that's what is what happened, folks. And so we're not realizing that if Mandela Barnes isn't out there mobilizing a base, it's possible Evers and Josh Call don't win. And so my lesson is not progressives over moderates. That means we need each other to win, and moderates need to recognize that the, that Mandela's candidacy was a huge factor in their victory, that we need each other. So I'm not yes. saying one or the other. I'm saying neither of us can hold power without a true partnership. And there's much more of a true partnership outside of Joe Manchin and Kirsten Cinema in D.C. right now than there is in Madison, where moderates uh, uh, want to hold all the power and authority when it comes to what the agenda of this state is. That's a mistake. Well, Robert, I do want to spend a little bit of time talking about the federal election. And it, it's actually where... Um, we can see the most success from the night. And, you know, sometimes in Wisconsin, it can be hard to see that because of the legislature and our disappointment over Mandela. Um, but nationally, there's you there's no way other way to put it, but the Democrats did well. And, and I know they're going to lose the House, but please, the the McCarthy had already like sent decorators into the offices of the leader, you know, long ago. and. Quite frankly, uh, the Republicans may get the House, Robert, but is it even governable? And will McCarthy even win a speakership? Right. Like that is um, that's going to be crazy. Not quite as crazy as what we'll talk about later, Trump and DeSantis, but it's going to be grab your popcorn. The House is ungovernable. Your thoughts. I got too much to say on that doing 30 seconds. So we can <laughs> take that after. The well, break. we'll take a break. Well, and we'll. We'll come back after the break and you give us your thoughts on what I would describe as the house of horrors that will be the Republicans' <laughs> efforts to govern. You're listening to the Battleground Wisconsin. Battleground Wisconsin is sponsored by Wisconsin Education Association Council Region 2. We act Region 2, protecting the rights of education employees and promoting public education in central Wisconsin area. Learn more at weacweac.org. Welcome back to the Battleground Wisconsin. 
Robert, how, how do you govern this Republican House that is going to have, it's going to have more wax? Uh, we're Wisconsin. We haven't even talked about our nut job we just sent to Congress. Um, how, how, how do the Republicans, when they get the House um, back, small margin, govern? They, and let me they even get a speaker? <laughs> before I, I get into that, because I will, I want to say, you know, there's too much of a parlor sport here about enjoying that the Republicans didn't get their red wave and they're coming out divided and infighting. Uh, not understanding, though, that this is dysfunction in democracy and that's not good for democracy. And so they're making the country ungovernable, not just the House of Representatives ungovernable. And they make the state of Wisconsin ungovernable already because Governor Evers is hamstring and doing constructive policies, the only one who wants to. And uh, they won't even seriously discuss what they could do together to, to use the full power of the state, the legislature and the governor together, the executive administrative branch. So, so having said that, we've got to like cope with the reality of what's going to happen here. I mean, we've seen there's already we've had before I get to the Congress, there's now the sniping at Donald Trump. People are some of the Republicans are are warily putting their heads out and saying that he's the problem and uh, he can't lead the party. Um, there have been a couple of these times when Trump looked weak and people like reared the kind of brought that kind of uh, came out of the foxhole slightly. Uh, the guy, Trump has prevailed each time and sent them all scurrying back to Mar-a-Lago to get on bended knee. Okay, so January sixth, we'll right? So we will see whether this really is the final, the final, the, the the beginning of the end of, of of Trump or not. I'm I'm suspicious. I'm not I'm not buying it. But I, you know, obviously that would be good for the country, uh, depending on what the alternative is, which we can get to. But the House is first, and. They haven't won it yet. Okay, there's still an outside chance, a one in six chance the Democrats hold on to the House. And it is annoying how long it takes California, Arizona, Nevada to count the vote. Right. And of course, we have a runoff in Georgia because of their strange rules. And strange. It was a racist rule. Let's just call it what it was. Yeah, it was designed to keep black representation. Well, down. there's a there's a famous the irony. I see Van Woodward, the strange career of Jim Crow. So a strange yeah. you know, can have a currency with Jim Crow there. But uh, uh, thanks to, to Professor Woodward. But uh, current projection is it will be 221 Republicans and 214 Democrats. Um there's thought that okay, that um, you know that the that that the very ambitious man who uh, Kevin McCarthy who wants to be speaker uh, might not become speaker, but there are no other candidates, and some of the potential candidates actually want him to be speaker, so it blows up in his face and they yes. become speaker. So it might well be that he becomes speaker. But if he's speaker, here's the thing. He will not be able to pass anything without Democratic support because he can't hold that whole caucus. And Marjorie Taylor Greene and company will have a veto over him. So he's going to have to do crazy extreme sp stuff like threaten to um, sink the American world economy on this ridiculous debt limit vote, which is a vote not to stop spending, but not to pay our bills that they've already authorized and uh, can sink the whole world economy, actually. Um, but they might, but it, as, as kind of taking it hostage 
in order to say get cuts in Social Security and Medicare or whatever other, or make Look, make the Trump tax cuts even worse, uh, or I what think have you. This, this is a huge opportunity. I'm just going to say it for us as progressives nationally, like we haven't seen because we're we're we unfortunately are going to be in a position where we're not really governing. Anything that comes out will have to be truly bipartisan, um, and that. I don't think there's much going to come out of that. I think the house is ungovernable, as I mentioned, but here's the opportunity. They are going to be on all kinds of just right wing fever dreams and investigations and all sorts of things and doing very little governing playing to their base because it's a presidential year. And Robert, the pop, the ultimate popcorn show is Trump versus Ron D. Well, let me say <laughs> there are people who watch this closely who say that McCarthy will have to impeach Biden. So they're going to trash the impeachment power because we had two necessary impeachments of Donald Trump, but they just see everything as tit for tat. So now we're going to have a completely legitimate impeachment and we're going to have committee chairs like Jim Jordan, like Marjorie Taylor Greene, like Lauren Gilbert. But, but here's an opportunity, though. If we can continue to lean in on an agenda and on issues and, and, and follow up on the Inflation Reduction Act, the stuff's not going to pass, but we ought to be able to put together model legislation that lays out clear contrast to the craziness that's going to be going on in the House and in their presidential primary. Well, there's I mean, likely going to be a leadership succession, Democratic side, if if the Republicans do get a majority, betting odds are given that Paul Pelosi is recovering from a Trump-inspired attack that Nancy Pelosi will set aside, step aside. And as much as many progressives have wrung their hands for years over Nancy Pelosi, she is a top-rate strategist and knows how to get shit done. So that'll be interesting. And that'll be interesting between the two poles of the party, the Congressional Progressive Caucus and the more moderate wing of the party, the Isabel Spambergers of the world, who she was reelected. And so we will see what kind of Democratic leadership there is and whether it's aligned with the White House or not. We'll see about the Senate. Right now, the Democrats could have a one-vote majority or they could actually lose control. It looks like Arizona will, will hold for Mark Kelly. It is really 50-50 and Senator Cortez uh, Mastow, the, the only Latina member of the U.S. Senate in Nevada, and of course, all bets are off in terms of Georgia, other than Brian Kemp won't be on the ballot. We don't know what Trump will do to well, damage that, that race. In other I, words, I, I, Kemp, yes. helped, Kemp helped Walker a lot and he won't be on the ballot because he's been reelected, the governor of Georgia. Well, that's just it. That's I mean, I I don't I don't see how Walker wins in Georgia. I think they gotta win Arizona and they gotta win Nevada. I don't think that's gonna happen. I think they might win Nevada. It's a mm -hmm. shot. Arizona, I think we're gonna Dem's gonna hold that, get that seat. And I think we're I think six weeks. Is that how long it is till Walker would uh, have no, to uh, it'd be December sixth. Okay. How, how, how does Walker stand up to the spotlight, the national spotlight? It's it's not tenable. And I'm he's getting, already I'm getting, I'm getting my Raphael Warnock uh, fundraising appeals already. So oh, uh, you only got one. I, 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 I thought, appeals. I thought I you got plural. eight. But let me just say, because I understand what you're saying. It's an opportunity, right? I also want to point out, here's the irony. 
there's too much in America, including among progressives and Democrats, among treating politics as a sport, like we're talking about the NCAA tournament. The a, a draft of the national climate assessment just came out. It's not complete until the end of next year. This is like all the agencies, all the data. This is the gold standard. So this is a draft. The complete one is the end of next year. And this is a, this is a quote from the draft. The things Americans value most are at risk. More intense extreme events, long-term climate change makes it hard, may, will make it hard to maintain safer homes, safe homes and healthy families, reliable public service, sustainable economy, thriving ecosystems and strong communities. And it goes through, it's the most damaging as far as what we're on a track for, which is three degrees Celsius, apparently, that it, that our government's released. So we've got to, and, and we have an obligation now to take the money that has been authorized, because we if we lose the House, we can't do anything new, the Inflation Reduction Act and the Bipartisan Infrastructure Law, and use it very well, both with the President's administrative authority and states and local level. Like Governor Evers needs to take this money, invest it in what will actually uh, reduce carbon emissions, not just give it to utilities and hope it goes well because it won't, because they're profit-making, profit-seeking entities. We're seeing that with We Energies right now and their outrageous rate demands and discriminatory rate demands. So I'm just going to say, Matt, that we need to expose the Republicans. We need to be very good tactically, but this, this isn't a game, right? This, well, is, this and, is about the future. But But that's why I think there's a huge opportunity here that they're going to be involved in the pettiest of petty political games on the right, just by the structure. That's that's a that house is set up to cause problems. And then we've got Trump versus uh, DeSantis, right? And that is going to be a shit show, to put it mildly. And so there's a real opportunity. And, and don't forget Glenn Youngkin, who will try to be the reasonable one from Virginia. Right. All, all of that, but it won't matter because ultimately it's going to be toxic. And there's an opportunity for Democrats to be leading in Congress like they have led the last two years with visionary stuff, right? We have the Thrive Act. We should be putting out on the table and pursuing stuff that we're going to run on in 2024 and sets out a clear agenda difference, right? To what is going to be just craziness in the House and craziness uh, on their presidential side. And so, Robert, it's an opportunity to do exactly what you talk about, uh, understanding that, like, you know, 2024 could be huge to really start to move some things and we got to get serious about that immediately with this next congress uh and and not just be mesmerized by the craziness of the right wing and what's happening we got to actually try to govern and show and demonstrate a difference obviously robert there is a lot we could talk about and we will continue to talk about this election uh and looking forward uh, in particular, we just want to highlight for you all before we go, um, we're going to be all over uh, the spring election, in particular the Supreme Court race, including uh, market on your calendars. January 11th, we're going to have a candidate forum. Uh, we are actively working to get uh, the two progressive candidates that have announced. Uh, if any others announce, we'll invite them uh, to be there so that we can thoroughly vet them and make sure that uh, we know who's ready and prepared uh, to 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 lead us into victory, Robert. Uh, before we go, yeah, last just, time. I know it's a lot to go into the uh, Supreme Court right away, but I believe that uh, election industry is now 
has a vocation in Wisconsin is rivaling the tourism industry. It's part of the identity of the state. I will say on a positive side for the Badger State, we avoided a, a kind of stop the steal crisis because I don't think Tim Michaels was fake MAGA. He did concede, unlike the other MAGA candidates in Pennsylvania and Arizona who will refuse. And in Arizona, there's really a risk of a, of a crisis. Yeah, uh, but in Pennsylvania, Doug Mastriano is refusing to concede and is going to challenge the result. He was blown out by Josh Shapiro. Johnson, if he lost by twenty-seven thousand votes, would be creating a crisis right now. So we we're we're that we're that close. If we if we knock off Johnson by a similar margin, then we have a crisis right now. And all and the crazy law firm that masterminded the execution of the fake electors is now looking for fraud in Milwaukee and Madison and Green Bay and other places. Folks, keep focused. Uh, we are building a movement and we're going to change the state. Uh, the people are with us. We have some structures uh, that we have to work on and that starts in this uh, Supreme Court race. Uh, let's win this. Let's take back the Supreme Court uh, and have an opportunity to readdress these maps that are absolutely crushing democracy in this state folks we got to run we'll talk more about this next week in in further battleground wisconsin's